Welcome to Periods, Poos and Pimples. My name is Jacinta and I'm the founder and nutritionist of Arenda Women's Health, an online clinic specializing in all things skin, gut and reproductive health. This podcast is for all women who have ever had some level of confusion in regards to their health. Whether you're battling with a skin condition, menstrual cycle disorder, fertility issues or gut issues and you just want to understand what is going on and what you need to do from people who know what they're talking about. In each episode, I'll be speaking with experts in the realm of women's health to give you the highest level of education that you'll need to develop a deeper connection with yourself and your body. Although this information will be super insightful, this information is not for diagnostic or treatment purposes. And please ensure you speak with your medical professional before implementing any treatment protocols. Please do keep in mind, as we may refer to research or specific pathophysiology of conditions, when we're referencing male or female, it is specific to the gender that's assigned at birth and pronouns used are specific to the individual discussed. Thank you so much for tuning in and I look forward to you joining us on this journey. So on today's episode, we have one of my beautiful clients, Jess, who I've invited on the show to talk to us all about her health journey and specifically in regards to her experiences that she's had with rosacea. So we're going to talk about from the onset of her symptoms all up until now. And we know when we're working with the skin, there's so many highs and there's so many lows, and it can feel really empowering to be able to actually hear from people who have been on the same or similar boat. And Jess has shown so much resilience and strength in the time that we've been working together, I think for like maybe a year and a half now. And I know everyone's going to love hearing from her. So welcome to the show, Jess. Thanks for having me, Jacinta. This is exciting. It's very (laughs) exciting. It's my pleasure to have you. So give us a little bit of a rundown about your health journey. So from the initial onset of your symptoms with rosacea up until now, and I guess all of your experiences in between. Yeah. So I started noticing some little bumps just above my jawline um, on the side of my face. And there wasn't a lot of redness at first. And then once I noticed that I was starting to get like a little bit foggy after my morning smoothies and I would have like a little bit of an upset stomach, I started also getting a little bit of redness on my cheeks. And that's when I started getting really frustrated. I was like, what am I doing wrong? I haven't changed anything. So I was really frustrated. And I remember, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going through a really stressful time. Like I was actually moving into state. And so um, I thought like I went to the doctor and they kept saying, it's just stress. Yeah. We'll get over it. Once you move into the new place, you'll be fine. It'll be fine. It'll be okay. It'll go away. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't do anything about it. I just let it lie and I moved and, uh, yeah, months went by and it was completely stable. Nothing, nothing changed. But by that stage, I was so frustrated because I was used to having clear skin. And I thought, well, I don't like wearing makeup. This is really annoying. Yeah. I want it to go away. And so I went back to the doctor to say, hey, it hasn't gone away. And that's when things started going really wrong. So I got put on a steroid cream that inflamed it even more. And then got sent to specialists, after specialists, lots of dermatologists. And they always looked at it saying that it was a, it was a peculiar presentation. I actually mm. didn't get a formal diagnosis for ages. Yeah. And that's uh, such a hard thing, isn't it? Because for ages, you're just kind of left with no answers and you're like, okay, well, it's just the stress. But what what is this? Like even though stress can be the driver, but having that definitive diagnosis helps because once you have a diagnosis, then you know the treatment, either the treatment protocol or the investigations that then need to be done to be able to figure it out. Exactly. Exactly. Although with dermatologists, I now have realized because I've seen so many of them that they have like two tricks up their sleeve and (laughs) and that's it. So it doesn't actually matter what diagnosis you have. No, that's that's a 
actually such a good point. Like I think in the realm of nutrition and naturopathy, the diagnosis and corneotherapy as well, the diagnosis helps to be able to really refine that treatment. But in the realm of dermatology and like, you know, not to say that um, dermatology isn't beneficial for some, but, you know, definitely in that realm, what we see all the time is Roaccutane, it's the pill, it's doxycycline, and it's either Mm -hmm. topical steroids or it's some kind of anti-mite cream that they're using topically. Yeah. Yeah. And because, you know, it's interesting because I, I had an awareness of my body. So I always presented and spoke about all the symptoms that were going on simultaneously. I had already observed that my intestinal issues coincided with the severity of my skin symptoms, even though I had no idea about gut health and that anything. Like I just didn't have that awareness, but I did know that. And I was told that those two things were completely unrelated time and time again. So of course they gave me things that exacerbated the underlying cause Yes. Because they didn't realize that they were related. Yeah. And eventually I got so bad from these medications, these antibiotics, these steroids, um, internal anti-inflammatories as well. And each time they'd give me stronger and stronger stuff because I was getting so bad from it. Mm, just the repercussions from all these medications and particularly like, you know, Roaccutane, we know that that impairs the skin barrier function and the, you know, the hydration within the skin, which then further exacerbates and allows for infection. And then that can trigger the rosacea even more. And it's just this, yes. it's this vicious cycle of what am I trying to treat now? Am I just trying to treat this flare-up from a side effect from a medication? Or am yes. I trying to still trying to treat the underlying cause that caused it all to begin with? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the sad thing in my situation was that it got so complicated and so bad. It was, it was almost, it felt impossible. Yeah. Um, and because I got into the point where, um, and I'd seen natural health practitioners in between, but by the time I'd, I guess I'd reached out, it was almost too late. I had SIBO and I'd saw, I'd seen a, um, a Chinese medicine doctor and just didn't understand mm. the severity of what that meant mm-hmm. um, or the different types. And I just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And I couldn't eat anything without having severe reactions. I'd had like a completely swollen face. I'd lost so much weight. I was 40 kilograms. I could barely walk. Yeah. You know, so it was really, really severe. Yeah. And it's so hard because there's such, there's such a distinct relationship when it comes to the skin and diet, but also then adding in the complication of then your relationship with food, because then that can become so distorted and fragile because you're like, I can't eat this because that flares up my skin. But like you said, at the initial, when you first started talking, you're like, Everything up until that point, nothing had changed. So why all of a sudden is this food a problem when before it was never a problem and I could eat that or I could do this and I could be a little bit stressed and wouldn't have such a severe flare-up? But like you said, it's when there's that underlying driver, like you're saying with the gut and the SIBO that was going on, that just exacerbated everything else. And it's almost like any kind of trigger will then aggravate that further, which presents directly on the skin. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So in terms of when you first started seeing your symptoms, because I guess that's the key thing that I see with clients with rosacea, exactly like you said, they're like, where did this come from? Out of nowhere, I've just randomly experienced these symptoms. Do you think that there were particular points, say, I often with my clients look at kind of the previous two to five years that led them up to that particular point to try to identify there were little things that happened underlying Um, Was there anything that you had noted in like maybe the two to five year mark leading up to the first onset of your symptoms that you're like, actually, it could have been that event when I had this infection or that I had this experience that maybe triggered this onset of the gut stuff that triggered the skin? Absolutely. For me, there's a really big and obvious one because two years prior, I almost died of septicemia and that ravaged my body you know, and I was put on lots of antibiotics. And I noticed after that, anytime I got stressed or I was exposed to something new, I would break out in a rash. Yeah. And, but it was not on my face. It was on my body. Mm-hmm. So I'd ne- I hadn't had it on my body before. And I would just listen to myself, 
you know, all of a sudden, if I ate a lot of gluten, went to a beautiful Italian restaurant, ate a lot of gluten mm-hmm. and I would break out into a rash yeah. and yeah. I was like, oh no. So I would, I would listen to that and I would stop yeah. eating those foods for a while and then gradually kind of go back to normal. Yeah. And I would say that for a good two years, um, I would have small bouts of these random rashes maybe for a couple of weeks, then they would go away because I would listen, I would change, and then and it normalised for a while and then a stressful event happened and all of a sudden my, I would say, my predisposed weakness is then yeah. then exacerbated. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's. That- yeah, I think that's a that's a really great way to wear to like the predisposed weakness because you can have that genetic tendency or whether you, for example, maybe that summer had got sunburnt on your face and then now it's expressed on your skin yes. in that way because prior to that it was only rashes on the body and then all of a sudden it's come up on the face. And I think it's so important to then acknowledge like the fact that that's a massive event that happened like that you, were, you had almost died from sepsis and like, thinking about the trauma associated with that, plus just the underlying immune system dysregulation, antibiotics you would have had to be on and how much that disrupted your gastrointestinal health. And that was a key concomitant symptom that you noticed as soon as your skin flared up. You're like, why is my guts flaring up? Like what is actually going on here? And was there at any particular point that that was then recognized that it was like, okay, you had sepsis and then, you know, your skin started a few years ago. I didn't, like I, I didn't make the connection at the time that my, cause it, it was presenting differently yeah. and it wasn't going away either. So before, you know, I could simply change something and it wasn't going away. This time I had a new symptom. I started getting brain fog as well. Mm-hmm. And I knew that was a stomach thing. Yeah. So yeah, I actually felt, I started feeling helpless and scared and worried because I was losing control. No longer was my skin responding to my response to my skin. It was just either getting worse or staying the same. Yeah. And at what particular point in your journey did you then decide to be like, okay, look, these, the prescription medications, they're not working. At what particular point did you then try to look for other alternatives and what was happening in your world that kind of brought you to that point in terms of like emotions and everything like that, that brought you to that point that you're like, right, okay, there's other alternatives I need to look for. There were a couple of small, uh, well, I don't know if they're really small, but there were a couple of events that happened leading up to that decision. Mm-hmm. So at first, like I was hiding my skin from the world. I didn't tell any of my friends. I didn't tell like any of my family, uh, that I was going through this because I had changed so much. I didn't even look like myself anymore. I just, I I kept thinking in denial, as soon as this goes away, I'll tell them I'll, I'll, I'll show up as my old self and it'll all be over. It'll all be fine. Um, and I had a point where I had a slight radical remission where things like the swelling went down, the scabs went away and everything seemed to be improving quite significantly. And I thought, that's it. Like I'm getting better now. It's all going to be fine. And I had someone tell me, a professional tell me to take lots of kombucha. This is before I realized I had SIBO. Yeah. Oh, take lots, take this, take Uh. that. And I relapsed so badly, worse than I'd ever been. Yeah. And my whole face blew out. My face was like just flesh, like open, like an open flesh wound. It was devastating. And in that moment, I thought, I don't want to live anymore. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't go through this anymore. I don't know what to do. And I just broke down. And my sister intuitively reached out to me. She knew something was really wrong Mm -hmm. in that moment. And I told her what was going on and I was distraught, but having that support lifted me and made me realize like, I don't like, I've got fight in me. This isn't over. Yeah. Yeah. And 
yeah, I decided, I decided from that point on, it's like you either are dedicated to yourself or you're not. Yeah. And so I drew a line in the sand. I ended up losing a lot of weight after that. And that's when I became really, really skinny. That's at the point where, you know, people were worried for my life in terms of malnourishment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to get over this hurdle. I'm going to start eating like one, one food, like literally just like one food, like a fruit, you know, yeah. <laughs> and just see if I can slowly rebuild. I went back to the dermatologist, um, because I'd already had a booking and I explained things and I, I'd, I'd seen some improvement, Right. I still looked absolutely shocking, but it was an improvement. The dermatologist, the way that she responded to me was with fear. Like I could see mm-hmm. she was afraid of doing wrong by me. Yeah. And she could see how complex the situation was. I don't think she'd seen someone like me before. Mm-hmm. And I could feel her empathy, but I also knew I could no longer trust this situation. Uh As soon as she brought a team of doctors in to evaluate me on top of her evaluation and they didn't speak to me, they just looked at me and spoke about me and then went out of the room and discussed about me behind my back, all all of which made me feel really uncomfortable. Definitely. You would almost just feel like you're kind of handing your health over to a whole group of people that are not completely kind of interacting with you to even find out the little nitty gritties that make you, you that could have contributed, you know, to this particular situation. Totally. I just felt so other. I felt so other. And by that stage, I was starting to feel like, no, I'm the only one who can help me. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I take it, you know what, just hand over the prescription pad. I know what I'm giving myself. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've done the research. Yeah. So, so when she came back and she said to me, uh, so we've decided that we're going to put you on everything you've ever been on, but at a smaller dose. And I looked at her kind of curiously. Yeah. And she said back to me, she goes, I understand if you don't want to take this. Yeah. So even, deep even down that she didn't have complete confidence. No. In her prescription. Not at all. Not at all. Um, that's why she brought in the team of doctors because she yeah. was, and the thing is I could see in her eyes, she wanted to help me. Yeah. And she, so from that moment on, I, I, uh, you know, she's, she, she said to me, she said to me, you'll never get better. Um, and, and that I would only get worse. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they were putting me on the drugs was to ease the pain of getting worse. Yeah. And I think I was really shocked by that prognosis and I went back at the nurse's station to get my um, prescriptions and then also uh, get my blood taken. Mm-hmm. And she looked at me and she said, how did you only get burned on your face? And I said, well, I'm not a burn survivor. This is actually yeah. a skin condition. Wow. Um, also the nerve to say that. Well, <laughs> it's interesting because I knew that that's what I looked like, mm-hmm. but no one had said it before. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and so, yeah. And so I was like, it's a mistake, but wow. Wow. You know, that kind of, it, just the gravity of it all just kind of hit me then. I went back home and I just cried and cried and cried. Yeah. At the projection of pity, at the uncertainty that was also put up on me. Um, and I just, I just thought, I'm like, they're wrong. I, there's no way in hell uh-huh. I can accept this prognosis. That is ludicrousness. I've uh-huh. already proved you're wrong. I'm better than I was a couple of like a month ago. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm really bad, but if I got this bad, 
and these drugs made me this way. I'm determined to to reverse it. Yeah. Yeah. And it so much when it comes to your health comes to your mindset too, doesn't it? I think it's so easy to take particular words on board and hold on to that for such a long time. Like I know because I've worked with you for so long now that the mindset that you have, it's always just about trying to be positive and trying to build resilience and trying to build strength. And I think if you get stuck on words such as you are going to be like this for the rest of your life, you're not going to get better. If you play that story to yourself in your mind every single day, no matter what treatment intervention or anything you could have done, wouldn't have helped because you would have had that mindset of, well, what's the point of taking this pill? Because it's not going to help with improving my skin because I'm stuck in this Mm -hmm. way. Yeah. And it takes a lot of strength to just let yourself feel like you said, you went home, you had to cry, you know, let yourself feel the overwhelming feelings that you had in that moment because of the situation. And then at some point come out on the other side and be like, actually, no, I'm not taking that on board and I'm going to play out a different story. Yes. Exactly. And so after that moment, I was on my own for a really long time for years and years. Yeah. And it was really, really tough because the journey's up and down. Yeah. Did you end up taking on board the prescriptions that they gave you? No, I didn't even. (laughs) No, I didn't even feel them. No. Yeah. And I think you you would have obviously known in that moment, you're like, I've already tried these before all individually and I wouldn't be in this particular position if they were successful. I felt like saying, are you insane? Yeah. You're telling me I'm never <laughs> going to get better and only worse. And that's with your prescription. Yeah. And that's with a combination of everything I've already tried before, just at a lower <laughs> dose because you're like, cool, if we control all these different factors, then maybe something might work. Yes. Yeah. 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 Um, and then at what particular point, because we've been working together for yeah about a year and a half now, at what particular point did you then find that you were getting a little bit more answers and a little bit more insight into kind of what was going on? I know you, you were then diagnosed with SIBO. And mm-hmm. was there, there other things that you then found to be like, actually, this is, this is a big thing that hasn't been explored before and this is something that's really working for me? You know that I tried a lot of fasting and I I know that to a certain extent, I think that was really important for me Mm -hmm. um, because at the time everything else seemed so complicated. I couldn't work out a hundred percent what my allergens were. I could tell that it was most things. Yeah. So I almost had to pick my battles. Yeah. Uh, anything that I ate was going to make me inflamed. Oh, and I was a vegan. So I'd been a vegan for like five years. And and the only thing, because when I was getting my test for SIBO, you're not allowed to have like, you have to cut out like all these foods. You can't have fruits and things. Right. And I was like, what, I can have meat and cucumbers pretty much. And, and I tried meat for the first time and it made me feel ill. Mm-hmm. you know, because you were meant to eat leading up to this test, but you're not meant to eat any sugary things. Anyway, I realized I didn't react to the meat, even though psychologically, probably more psychologically, it made me feel ill. I stopped eating it. Like I, after the test, like I, I didn't eat it again. Um, I'd gone raw for a really long time, mm-hmm. um, just like mostly eating smoothies and things because I wasn't processing food properly. Um, I was doing heaps of things wrong, but they helped to a certain extent and I felt in control and I do these cycles of, of fasting and then refeeding and fasting and then refeeding. And I was making progress, albeit small yeah. progress, you know, yeah. oh, I can eat a little bit more of this food without reacting. Oh, I can have a little bit more of this without reacting. Um, because I didn't trust anyone, I would do that research and I would figure it out on my own. Eventually I came to terms with after a year of grappling with it, that I had to eat meat. Mm-hmm. That one of my big issues was that one, I struggled to process that. I knew that mm-hmm. um, my liver was struggling but I also needed it um, to rebuild my gut. And 
different types of fat, um, yeah. right? And so that was a big realisation and something that I had to mentally get over mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, I'm doing this for ethical reasons. I'm doing this because I believed it was good for me. And um, so, yeah, that was a big change that really helped. It, it, it helped almost immediately. Like I could, I could see the difference in my skin structure. Yeah. And it was stronger. Mm-hmm. And then maybe a year after that, I started having this intuitive feeling that I wanted to get help with, I felt like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm hitting a standstill again and I need help. I need help. Mm-hmm. And I came across you mm-hmm. and I thought immediately, I was like, I, I really like this, this, this woman, like yeah. she, <laughs> there was just something about you. Yeah. And by Thank that stage, I, I just knew you've got to trust that feeling, Yeah, yeah. you know, and I wasn't about to just, you know, go on with anyone. And I thought, what's the worst I can, what's the worst that can happen? I pay for one session. I think, nah, this isn't a right fit. Yep. And you move on. But instead, obviously the opposite happened. I think you're amazing. <laughs> and I was right. <laughs> Thank you. No, I remember when a few months, I think it might've been a few months in that we're working together and you kind of had, I think you maybe have might've made that comment. You're like, you know, when we first started working together, I was like, Oh, we'll see. We'll see what kind of happens. It might work. I might not work. And you're like, but no, like you had gotten to a point where you were eating multiple meals a day and you're like, this actually feels like within, I think a matter of like eight to 12 weeks, we had, gotten you eating a lot more you felt so had such a better relationship with your food you kind of didn't fear that food was then going to be a trigger and I think that's a big thing I always try to focus on because yes food is a trigger but there's the food is the trigger because there's something else going on so you have to have that support of figuring out what that thing is that is going on whilst you're maybe slowly trying to introduce things and seeing how the body responds and I think like yeah you've come such a long way in that particular, you know, in that time since we've been working together and it's been, it's been so nice as well. Um, But I could definitely see early on, like when we first started, like in the initial consultation, just the kind of the feeling of like, okay, well, what's, what's next that I can try? Like what's next that's going to help? Yeah. Oh, 100%. Like you changed my life. I've never seen such consistent <laughs> improvements and such drastic improvements in such a short period of time. Like just visually you can see that. Yeah. Like 100%. with with the documentation that I had, I was like this is crazy. Yeah. This is crazy. And I'm eating more. Like yeah. I was I was over the moon. Yeah. 100%. Uh, when I know when I would come back into our consults, I'm like, "Cool, Jess, give me a diet diary." I'm like, "Yes, this avocado." <laughs> and I know remember there's so many things that you're like, "Oh, I haven't been eating that because I'm worried about it for my skin." And when I see you having that for breakfast, and you're like, "And I'm having this, and I'm having that," and obviously still trying to find that way that you were listening to your body with what it wants and not also letting your skin take control as well. We were trying to really find that balance between what does my soul want and what does my skin need. And mm-hmm. I think that's also the hardest thing as well, isn't it? That was so difficult. Yeah. That was so difficult because I'd, I'd pin food as the enemy mm-hmm. because my body kept rejecting it. And so I did have this complex relationship and this fear of going backwards if I got it wrong. And so, you know, the fact that you were able to pinpoint some really key things and then provide me with the right supportive elements and, and supplements and things that enabled me to eat food without having these terrible reactions. It just, it, it, it helped me so much psychologically and socially. Oh, <laughs> without a doubt. You know, there's nothing more stressful than being like, I've got to go out to eat and okay, I can't have gluten, can't have dairy. Oh no, there's too much salicylates in this and there's, you know, too much sulfites in this and then trying to rationalize all of that and then be like, actually, I just feel like a chicken palmer, but no, I can't, you know. Yeah. And trying to kind of think about it from that perspective. So from the journey that you've had um, since the onset, what are some of the daily practices that you think that you implement at the moment that you find that help with your skin 
can be anything from the practices that you might do upon rising, particular kind of practices with your diet. Yeah. So I meditate in the mornings and at the moment I allow myself extra leeway with sleep Mm -hmm. and I can do that, which is great. Um, Every morning without fail, I have to oil pull and scrape my tongue. Like absolutely Uh, get that bacteria out of my mouth um, <laughs> once you start, you can't stop. It's such it's just- a good feeling. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's actually so important because the gut bacteria is so determined by your oral microbiome. Like you're just swallowing stuff all day with your, with your oral microbiome. So it's like, yeah, you want to try to get any kind of nasties out there, especially when you're fighting the immune system. Yeah. Cause your body is detoxifying in the evening. Yeah. At a rapid rate, like all of that comes out on your tongue. Well, not yeah. all of it, but a lot. <laughs> yeah. So get it out. Don't yeah. consume it again. <laughs> Don't just swallow it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we've got oil pulling and um, tongue scraping. What else is there? Oh, and meditating. Meditating. And then I obviously I have to take my supplements. Yeah. Um, and then I usually have a smoothie for breakfast and I might work out. Yeah. Um, in the morning, but I'm also flexible with that. So I may do it in the morning. I may do it in the evening. Yeah. But I'm big on exercise. Yes. So let's talk about exercise a little bit because we know some of the most common triggers when it comes to rosacea is heat. And I know um, with clients are often like, you know, have a shower and I'm red. I can't exercise because then I'm red, but exercise helps me mentally. So that that battle between so is there kind of like a sweet spot that you've kind of found with exercise that you know maybe doesn't exacerbate flare-ups or maybe it does and maybe you've kind of just been like okay this is okay but because I know it's going to reduce yeah so I also take cold showers so if if I have a hot shower I'll then have a cold what like at the end I'll have it cold yeah like 30 seconds to a minute and that really helps as well And mental clarity wise as well is brilliant. And it's so good for the immune system. There you go. Excellent. So (laughs) double it up with the exercise and the cold shower. That's it. So absolutely. uh, When I first started exercising again, cardio, I hated it. Mm. Hate cardio because (laughs) it heats you up quicker than anything else. Yes, definitely. Right. So then you would flare, you feel super hot. Nah, it's just so unpleasant. Mm -hmm. So slowly though, um, I started doing weight training and you can take that at your own pace. You don't have to go super heavy because if you go super heavy, then you may also trigger. But to me, it's as long as it's not painful, I'm happy. I'm okay with it because I find that I improve over time with my skin. If I exercise consistently because it's helping you detox and I have a difficulty doing that. Yeah. So, uh, moving is really important. Um, doing it indoors (laughs) uh, rather than outdoors. Yeah. Um, I just find slow weight training is the best thing that you can do. Um, in terms of avoiding flare-ups and and also just feeling good about yourself, like really feeling like you've actually done a decent a decent workout. Decent workout, yeah, I agree because I think definitely you know hip style training and stuff is probably not ideal because like you know that that's going to promote your blood flow more than anything else and cause that vasodilation. Plus, if stress is a massive factor, then we know the HIIT workouts that really exacerbates that stress response and drives that, you know, inflammation further if stress is a driver for that particular type of person. But I think, like you said, the weight training is awesome because you can control the tempo. You can Mm -hmm. control the, um, like, the extent that you're lifting as well. And yeah. that can significantly control your flare-ups. And I think that's such a good point because I think that's where a lot of clients are like, I want to exercise because it makes me feel so good. It gives me the endorphins. I feel great for the rest of the day. But they're almost kind of handing their power over to their rosacea to say the rosacea will determine what I'm able to do and what I'm not able to do. And yes. I'm sure to a particular extent you would feel like that it can throughout the day just we would feel like it can control some of your decisions. But like you said, you've got to find that spot to be like, okay, well, this is, this works for me. 
and I'm okay with a little bit of redness, but I'm not okay with pain. Yes. And I think the point that you're making here that I think is just so, so important is like, you can't let your skin get in the way of you living your life. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's very different to choose something that's, it's, that's exacerbating the underlying cause versus just triggering the symptom. Yes. Yes. hundred percent. You know, so yeah. exercise is triggering the symptom and can, can do so. But okay. Last, last night, for example, for whatever reason, um, I, um, I had a, a, tr- a flare up, right. Just before I was headed to the gym. Mm-hmm. And I thought, great, there's no, there's, there's, and I have a gym buddy, so I'm not backing out. Um, <laughs> so I go into the gym and I am flaming red. I haven't even done anything yet. Yeah. And we'd picked a workout that had a semi cardio element. I'm like, that's it. I'm just going to be fully burning yeah. the whole time. And I'm just going to drink lots of water I'm going to be kind to myself. I'm just going to thrash it out. I'm going to beat him in the process. Get it done. Yep. (laughs) Watch me. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The thing is, I know a lot of women have said to me like, oh, but like, do you, you know, being seen in the gym, you know, without makeup and you're red and all this sorts of stuff. Nobody cares about what you look like. And at the end of the day, you're going to probably see those people again. Probably not. And if you do, who cares? And the thing is, is like, listen to everything you've told us from the start of this podcast, like all the journey that you've gone through. If there was any person that were to sit there and to even think of any comments, it's like, you don't even have any form of right to think any of that, given that you don't know any little bit of the history that you've been through to get you to that point, to have the ability to go to the gym and to feel confident about doing that too. Yes. And I will say, I understand it is really hard when you feel different. You don't, you don't, you don't feel like you look good. Yeah. Everyone wants to look good. Everyone's worried about yeah. themselves. Um, and you know what? A lot of people come to me and they say, I'm not as bad as you, but I don't have that confidence. And I go, you know what? That's okay. Back when I first had rosacea, it was mild as, and I was yeah. more insecure then than I am now. It's yeah. totally a mentality thing. Oh my it has God. nothing to do with what you look like. 100%. And it's it's all, like, I guess when it comes to confidence, it's really about where you place your sense of value as well. I think if you place a sense of value on the way that you look, that's a silly sense of value because looks can change literally tomorrow. I could fall over and I could, you know, scrape my whole face and I could look completely different and be like, okay, cool. Like what do I not value myself anymore because I've just hurt myself and now I look different to what I did yesterday. And I think that's like, and you know, it's so much easier said than done because I haven't been in that, uh, you know, type of position before with in terms of like the, the journey that you've been through. But I think like you said, it comes down to your mindset. And also finding value in other things. Like you have so much passion and things that you love in your life that you put so much of your heart into. And that also creates your sense of value, not the way that you might look when you walk into a gym. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and that 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 does take time because oh, 100%. even though I didn't like I've never thought of myself as a shallow person, I am affected by society's expectations. Yeah. And I never realized that before how much that infiltrated me. Yeah. Because when I thought that I'd lost my looks, I did feel like my value was mute as Mm -hmm. a woman. Mm -hmm. And then I could trace it back to like all these messages, all these things that have been told all this time, you know, sometimes the way you're treated by different people, um, you get it in your mind that that's where your value lies. That's, that's what society wants women to think as well, because yeah. then you have so much control over them. That means that women spend all their time investing in an asset that depreciates over time rather than who you are as a person, which can only appreciate if you put the time into it. Yeah. So I love that. Like diffusing. I love that too. Yeah. Like just focusing your appreciation, like you said, on something else that doesn't have back that tangible ability to constantly potentially change. Yeah. And there's, you know, like we know, there's kind of beauty in everything. It's not about that physical concept. 
Oh, true beauty is so much more complicated and so not surface level. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. There's so much more richness. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So in terms of that whole emotional aspect that kind of helped you to build that confidence and to be able to battle with the highs and the lows, is there anything that you've done in particular to help with your mindset? If there's anything that you would probably give advice on for other people that have been in the same boat. One key thing for both your healing mentally and physically is finding people that you trust and getting that support, Mm. getting that support from key friends. For me, I found that my skin condition actually led me to friendships that, you know, our lifetime, they're like family. And then you have a practitioner like yourself, Jacinta. It's like, you have to trust the person. You have to like the person, (laughs) you know, that, that makes a huge difference. Support is key. Like the fact that I have a team now where, you know, if I have a relapse or if I have anything that goes that I don't understand, I'm not panicking all around and freaking out. I can go, I can turn to people who are there with me who may not know all the answers straight away, but we investigate together and that calms the nervous system down. Oh, without a doubt. I think (laughs) like, you know, just, yeah, just feeling that support. Like you, you know, you can jump onto Dr. Google and try and figure it out yourself, but that just kind of exacerbates the stress even more, mm-hmm. but it's just about having those good networks that makes all the difference to be able to help you through and being able to, like you said, connect, like, yes, you need to like the person to actually then be able to, to appreciate the kind of support and take it on board as well. Cause I mm-hmm. think it's, I remember in uni, they spoke a lot about practitioner client relationship and they actually said that a lot of the clients um, improvements they've shown in research to drastically depend on how much they like their practitioner and the relationship that they have with their practitioner, because when they have that good relationship with them, they trust them. When they trust them, they trust the things that they're taking. They have the mindset that, yes, this is going to work for me. And they release that kind of emotion that's attached to their needing to try to fix it themselves And then once they let go of that, then they allow the kind of healing process to begin. And it all comes down to that trust that they have with their practitioner. Absolutely. There are so many studies on the relationship with your practitioner, even the placebo effect, which is your your own body's ability to heal itself based on perception. Yeah. There was this one study that said it like improved from 44% to 62% based on a practitioner's like warmth, confidence and belief in you. Oh my God. That, see, that's significant. Versus <laughs> people who didn't get any treatment at all with no practitioner. Yeah. It was like a 28% improvement or something like that. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's huge. So you have, yeah, it's just, it's, it's massive. It's and massive. that just comes down to connection, just human connection as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's that, there's the support element. And then, oh, there's so many things. I think the big aspect is, is obsession. People can obsess with what they see in the mirror. Uh, When you look at the mirror and you see yourself uh, and you see only the surface, you're not doing yourself justice. You're not actually seeing you for who you are. Mm -hmm. And it is, it is a process of, of doing exactly what we said is like, I guess, investing in different areas of your life and focusing on different areas of your life, passion, one of them, you know, focus on your interests, your ability um, to improve on a skill, do things that are fun, find pleasure, joy. I swear to God, there's so many people with rosacea who honestly just don't believe they deserve like basic things. And so doing things for yourself, um, it is a journey within. (laughs) Um, And, you know, you've done such an amazing job from when, you know, everything that you kind of, you know, you had sepsis until now mm -hmm. where you're just like such an inspiration for people, like the clients that you've referred on 
every time there's someone that's like, oh yeah, Jess, oh my God, Jess, 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 Jess. And, <laughs> and it's just like, you give so many women that have been in the same boat as you, like such a sense of empowerment to be able to know that it doesn't have to control their life. And that, yes, you might have a day where you feel like it does and you ride that wave on that day and you let it be, but you also know to not let it sit for too long. And I think that's where people really love to listen to you because they know that you're just, the things that you say is just pure, it's just honest. Thank you, Jacinta. (laughs) So finally, I just wanted to kind of sum up in terms of, I know some clients and some people listening will probably want to know a little bit about topical interventions and stuff that you might use and that you've found to be successful when you have had um, remission. Is there Mm -hmm. anything in particular that you find that you're like, yeah, this is actually really helping to support my skin long-term? Well, I do use derma vigils topically and it seems like there's so much controversy in the air at the moment about derma vigils. Mm-hmm. Um, and to me, it's very simple. You, It's a bespoke skincare. You need a great practitioner. If you don't, then you're not going to be getting the right stuff for your skin. And rosacea is a complex skin condition and it's so individual mm-hmm. that you need someone who knows what they're doing. Yeah. And again, that you trust. It's not just a matter of just seeing someone and trying the product. If you have, if you, yeah. So to me, again, having someone that you trust, it's funny because, you know, your skin constantly changes. So one, um, recently when my skin started, uh, having reactions. And I remember you even said to me, Oh, you know, see if you can, um, remove X, Y, and Z and just use this. And I thought that's really interesting. I'll, um, talk to my, you know, um, my corneotherapist about it. And I started using that and I was like, Oh, it's cooling down even more. Yeah. You know, so like these little shifts, yeah. Um, based on wherever your skin's at, what's going on, like yeah. that's the thing that I really like about it. And that's why I'm apprehensive to go to to recommend anything else, um, or for anyone to try anything else. Yeah. Um based on my experience, I really think when you work with someone, it's so much safer because your skin can change at any moment. Exactly. And you've got that support to say, hey, this is what's going on. Is there anything I need to quickly change? Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself, like I have quite a very sensitive skin type. So when I've tried to introduce products, it can go crazy in the matter of like days. And I remember I tried to introduce a new cleanser. And for the next week I was sitting there. It was always half an hour after I applied it. I'd be sitting there on the couch, starting work on my laptop and just be ripping through my face like itchy like what is this but then I have that ability to be able to be like hey to my you know corneal therapist be like what is going on why is my skin so itchy and they're like cool that's actually showing us your skin is way too overreactive your immune system's firing a bit too much so that's giving us signs of what your skin needs so let's focus more on repair try this and you know we, we can reduce some of this kind of cleanser and yeah instantly just such a relief and it's because I had that support whereas if you didn't have that support, you could be like, oh, it was because I had maybe a coffee this morning or maybe it was because I had this. It's like, actually, it's probably not that complicated. Yeah. And yeah. we can misattribute it and then go off course. Yeah. Go on a big tangent thinking yeah. that I've got all this stuff going on. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, if there was any more advice that you think that you wanted to give to any kind of listeners that have rosacea, that have been on the same or similar journey, what do you think it would be? I'd say you are so much more than what you look like. Yeah. So much more. <laughs> I love like, that. It's, it's, so, it's so sad I even have to say that. It's so no, ludicrous. It's, yeah. Like, it's, yeah. It's like it's that's the world we live in, you yeah. know, and I honestly I found that people with surface-level kind of skin conditions um, in the sense that they present at a surface level, like, they're people of depth. Mm. Mm-hmm. You're, you're people who crave depth. 
and you want those connections and you want people to see you for who you are. And most of the time they're extremely empathetic people. And it's like you, so, so don't focus, don't focus so heavily on the, on the surface level, do whatever you can to help yourself 100%, like your health and it's a sign and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it's make your life the most you can. Yes, you know? exactly. And like, I love that. Like, you know, you know, in clinic, I see mostly skin conditions and I absolutely love my clients. Like every single one, I'm always so excited to jump onto a call because I'm like, there's so much to this person. Like they're so beautiful. They're so lovely. I'm always so interested to hear everything else that's going on in their realm. And I'm like, oh yeah. And how's the skin? How's things going? Um, (laughs) Because there's like, there's so much more than like, you know, than the surface level. So on that note, I'd love to finish with you telling us actually about some of the work that you're working on, because you've got your podcast too, actually. Um, And I'd love for you to share with people kind of like your vision and your passion there. Yeah. So I have a podcast with my friend Natana and it's called Not So Fucked After All. <laughs> I love that. That's the best. <laughs> and it started off as a project because there's so much going on in the world right now. There's always been so, so much going on, but we're all so busy with our lives. And for the first time, we've all kind of had to stop and go, whoa, what's happening? Um, and have a, a larger level of involvement, which to me is an opportunity um, to participate in some of the change that we wish to see in the world. So Natana and I on Not So Fucked After All explore different issues and problems that we're facing in the world today, personally, professionally, globally, you know, it's like at, at all levels we zoom out and look at the problem from lots of different angles and then we zoom in and drill down to see uh, what's at the core of these issues and provide some sort of um, insight, practical idea of what we can do so that maybe, maybe we're not so fucked after all. <laughs> yeah, I think that that's so empowering, like just to be able to have those those honest conversations, like I said before, you're so real about everything and for people to listen in and to hear those insights, I think, to help them also feel supported and that they're not also probably the only one that's going through all those different thought processes, thinking about everything that is going on around them and actually just feeling like, yeah, they're not alone. Exactly. I think that's, that's a major element. Yeah. Um, hmm. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. It's been such a pleasure to have a chat with you. Um, and yeah, I um, will actually pop your um, podcast details in the show notes. So if everyone awesome. wants to have a look, <laughs> yeah, check it out. Thanks, yes. Jacinta. All right, thanks so much, lovely. Bye. Bye. <laughs>